work uh, for your today as if you are going to live forever. Hmm. And work for the afterlife as if you're going to die tomorrow. Welcome to Own the Future, a podcast made for and by changemakers, where we gain the courage to own our story, the freedom to own our craft, and the power to own the future. I am your host, Lucas Grobot, and welcome to 2020. It's a brand new year, a brand new decade, and on this brand new episode, we have Mustafa Hamwi, who wrote the book Live passionately the blueprint to design a life truly worth living. If you don't know Mustafa's story, he was here working in the events industry in Dubai. He had it all. He was successful in the eyes of the world. And then he had a little bit of a midlife crisis, went to India and really launched him on this journey, asking the question, what does it mean to live with purpose? What does it mean to live your passion? What does it mean to have an impact on the world? And that's what we he talks about in this book. And that's what we talk about today on the podcast. And we go really deep, really fast into a lot of philosophical ideas that are all coming back to this idea of how do we shape and own the future? How do we act in the world in such a way that shapes the world around us by stepping into our purpose, by stepping into what you and I were created to do. So please enjoy this episode of Own the Future and welcome to 2020. But keep in mind that I've interviewed pretty much a lot of the number ones, you know, and, and the hardcore ones. I'm not talking about some of the lighter commercial names. I'm talking thought leaders. I've, I, I already interviewed and became friends with at least three or more Thinker 50. Those are the top 50 thinkers in the world, you know, including Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, Fons Trompenars, and John Matone. Okay, and all yeah. these three fairly, you know, have, have been great mentors to me. Tony Buzan, God bless his soul, also the inventor of mind mapping. He gave, yeah. me, he gave me the nickname, Mr. Passion. And, you know, this is the caliber that I started. These were my first five interviews. So you can imagine starting from there. And then everything started moving on. And eventually there's a, there is no barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. Anybody, the advantage is anybody with a phone and a, exactly. you know, can do these interviews. And some of them, I conducted the interview with the global VP of Google for people operations, global, uh, on this. I didn't even have a camera. It was a spare of a moment. And I did the same with Fon Strumpenars. I said, let's do an interview. And he goes, okay, <clears throat> jump in the car with me. I mean, he, I was so like passionate. He goes, okay, jump in the car with me. We'll do it on the way to the airport. And I do it with a selfie angle even. And I had to open, we were in a, like an Uber that had a Lexus on the top. So I opened the thing and you could see the light coming on top. So you can have some light. And and then it was beautiful because back then nobody had access to them. So it was easy for me to stand out by being the first guy who did it. But guess what? The minute I did it, everybody was interviewing the same people because everybody was Because on the, the podcast circuit. At this at this stage, author equals authority. Is that simple? Yeah. Books books have a barrier to entry because they're a lot harder. They take yes. work and thought process, and you yes. know. So that's a no brainer for somebody who's in the consulting business. Something where you need to convert high ticket clients. This stuff works for lower ticket items. Buy my online course, quick decisions. It's great. Great. You know, the biggest value for me was not the the exposure. It was me sitting face-to-face with these people, looking in their eyes, asking them questions and understanding and comprehending what they're saying by getting that feeling. Mm. Not, it was not, it was not about, it it was not about, 
the interview itself. It was not about the interview value. It was about the fact that we're sitting and then imagine the level of knowledge I gained after that. This was my value. Yeah. Now I've experienced that that too with mine and I'm guessing that too, to your point, the value that you also gained was just building that rapport with those people because then they became your mentors and they started to pour into your life. Did you, I mean, clearly in your story, you were already a highly successful businessman before you even started interviewing these people, right? Before yep. you went to India, you were highly successful. How much of that was built in from growing up as a kid? How much of that, how much of your confidence to approach the top CEOs was a byproduct of you already being successful in the business realm? That's a very good question. I think for us to answer such a question, we need to rewind and, and define success because you're asking me, you know, maybe you were successful in business and possibly at that time I might have viewed it as success. Mm -hmm. Looking back now by certain measures I was, by other measures I was not. So, and, and this is something that I talk about in my book when I say, is your apparent success misleading you? Mm -hmm. Because apparent success is what an outside world tells us is success. So maybe by certain measures, I'm not successful now. I, I might not have a lot of things that I had before and a lot of things that I could have now. I get a lot of my clients and, and coaches even who are very successful by certain measures say, why you're not doing this? Why are you not doing that? And after a while they go, now we understand what you're talking about. So you see, it's about, I'm moving more towards a minimalist lifestyle. Yeah. Back then I was a typical hoarder, which mm. is majority of people are. We want more and more, and the more we have, we want the more. And then what you do is you get a bigger house and fill it with more stuff that you don't need because you just have a lot of space and the mind doesn't like the emptiness. So that type of success was driven by certain KPIs and metrics that I grew up to, which are the typical, what the, what, what the world tells you you should be, what the world tells you that you should be pursuing. Consumerism. Yeah, and, and it's not to say that I don't enjoy things. I mean, you know, life is beautiful and, you know, you need money to to buy this and to buy this. So, but, but when you're doing it with a space of only I'm here to consume, consume, consume versus I'm here to produce, it, the discussion is totally different. Yeah. If you're buying this as another toy versus it's a clear investment with a clear ROI, with a metric of how do I get the ROI, with an understanding of how this brings value, it's two different things. So... I I was definitely driven most of my life mm. uh, in certain ways where I had passion for whatever I did. So I'm I'm very fiery by nature. So and again that has its pros and cons. So I'm very fiery. I always had a lot of energy in me, and I wanted to disperse that energy. So I was active, did active sports. I was always the kid that you know hurt myself, cut myself, bumped myself. <laughs> just just like you broke a rib a couple of weeks ago in, in uh, Boxing, Uzbekistan, right? Yeah, by, by my own by my own command. Goodness and I was gracious. happy. It's funny. I was I was sleeping and I was laughing. My wife is like, "Are you okay?" I said, "I'm actually <laughs> laughing, not crying." Is I'm I'm happy. I asked for this. I mean, I didn't expect it to break a rib. The only thing that's actually annoying is that I'm not able to work out now. That's really annoying me. So I'm trying to find ways to burn calories, but aside from that, you know, it's a, it was a great experience, but better in a ring than in a fight. You know, yeah, it's, it's, if I'm being punched in a ring, it's a controlled environment versus ending up in a fight on the street. I understand what I'm getting myself into. So, so I definitely was driven. I, I had that internal struggle about, do I really want to put that much energy and fire into certain things? Mm -hmm. I was always skeptical, to be honest with you. Skeptical about what? Why like am I skeptical about? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Your rat race that you're in. Skeptical yeah. Why, why about am your... I doing? But but basically, the, the, there's group anxiety. 
When you see everybody's running, you're geared to ask, what the hell is happening? I better be running. Say that again. There's group and anxiety. Can you unpack those two words? It's actually group and anxiety. Group and anxiety. So you get anxious because everybody's anxious. So the same way you go into a party and there's everybody's raving, you start raving with them. When there's an anxiety, everybody around you is anxious. You start thinking you're wrong if you're not anxious. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's pretty tricky. Because we we are all born into it, and then unfortunately we tr- we transmit that to our children. So you're saying you you found yourself in groupthink, and that groupthink was we are anxious and we are everybody's running. You wake grabbing. up. Yeah, I mean, you grow up in an environment where everybody's praying. You start, you know, generally praying. You grow up in an environment where everybody's making money. You start chasing money. You grow up in an environment where everybody's right. doing what yoga. What you see, you children do. children don't learn by instructions. They learn by observing. Right. If actually, if you think about it, children do nothing for the, you know, for the first maybe year or so when they're babies, all they're doing is actually eating and disposing the food and and, and just having their eyes uh, wide and true. like, they're actually soaking up a lot more information than you think. All they're doing is processing, processing, and that's why their neurons, the, the, the children's neurons are fired 100% yeah. capacity because they're just trying to figure out. So they use everything by observing and soaking up and soaking up. So... If you grow up in an environment where your family was doing certain thing, like it or not, you're gonna end up soaking that up into into your into your own system because that's your startup mode. So if you think you remember when computers, I don't know, depending on your listeners' age, you might get listeners that might not relate to this. But if you remember back in the days when computers did not have even a a, a startup system, mm-hmm. we used to buy a computer that had nothing, and you had and to you put had a to put floppy a, a and then start it up, yeah. and you had to wait for it to start up and pick up that. Yeah, this is what happens with a baby. So. Parents are putting that floppy whether they like it or not, and the children are soaking Completely. it up. Completely. The, the environment, the spiritual, emotional, intelligence environment that any child grows up in is going to shape. It's nature versus nurture. And, and and yes, you have nature, but nurture also has a big impact, and, and yeah. we morph into those two things together. So yeah. that's that's probably where a lot of that drive came. I definitely have a lot of passion, but the unclarity of what is it that makes me tick. And maybe I knew... But again, the the nurture might have pushed me away from it. I wanted to do certain things that were no no to to my dad. I wanted to, you know, I, I remember first time I said what I want to study, and uh, uh, I mean, I think when I was a kid, I said I wanted to be a firefighter. But I think that was one of those kids things yeah. because it was somebody in cartoons said firefighter. It sounded right. cool. Then I wanted to go to space and all of these big dreams. With some some still pursue and end up doing it, uh, and maybe it was not an innate calling in me. But what one of the things I remember clearly is separate from loving adventure, a lot of adventurous mm. stuff. I said I want to be in hospitality. Uh, and my dad, I, I remember him having a clear no way because my dad was fairly conservative and hospitality was all about alcohol. Mm. And that was like kind of, well, I can see where this is heading. Huh. So so you see, maybe eventually by now, a few years ago, I thought I want to be in adventure tourism. So in a way, had I started there, I would have got, but the community and the society said, no, this doesn't no. work. And I've seen that happen with another person that I was coaching. He brought me to coach his his uh, teenager kid. I mean, he's not a kid, but a y- youth. Yeah, and I could tell that young guy was meant to be a chef, mm. super chef. He could. He looks at me. He goes, "You liked it, didn't you?" He was looking at the wrinkles on my eye when I'm eating. He goes like, oh my God, your eye quenched and you're like, oh, you enjoyed it. <laughs> like imagine somebody who has that passion. His father, his son is, his father was like, no way my son is going to be a cook. And in Arabic, it sounds very like right. a bit degrading the way he it's said it. Very... So, so you see, yes, we have certain drives, but then a lot of things knock us off the way. 
that being said, I believe whatever is an innate calling in us will always manifest itself. Because that's what I call in my book, one in 500 million. That's your true yes. calling. And I, I like that. You you talk about what, you know, being one in 500 million. You talk about your, the language that you use is your God-given calling. Do you mm -hmm. believe in destiny? Do you believe in the divine that God is the one that created us and actually put that seed of desire and passion within us? Yes and no. Because here's the thing, to people people are always trying to take an either or. So am I destined or do I make my destiny? Well, mm -hmm. I mean, either of those answers is incorrect because okay. you have the substance and the potential in you, mm -hmm. but also what action you put into it is what manifests. So really you having the potential to be somebody or something in this world that manifests bigger than you're just who you are now, uh, is going to take a lot of hard work and determination. Correct. And you cannot ignore the weather forecast. You cannot say I'm super person and not even the rain. Well, you know, some sometimes you get lucky. Right. You have it, to have self awareness of where you have your to have gifts self awareness, and sometimes sometimes luck does play a big a, a big situation. Yeah. You know, a, a big uh, impact on it. If you think, if you read Outliers by Malcolm yeah. Gladwell, he, he explains that you know Steve Jobs and, where and they Bill were Gates, born. where they were born, and the, the years year, and the, the month time, that they were born. Yeah, I mean, I understand. It's insane. You cannot say that they became that only because of, but they could have missed the train also. They yeah. could have easily missed the train, and a lot of people who came to Dubai at a certain time. Did not capitalize on the opportunity, but a lot of people capitalize on the opportunity mm. much earlier. Not That's not to say that there are no other opportunities that come, but also there was a golden rush days in Dubai where anybody who even did not know how to make money was still making money because the simple fact was there was a lot of money going out and not much competition. So there was a lot of surplus to be redistributed. There's still a lot of opportunity now but it takes people who know what they're doing. Mm. You gotta be a pro today. Back in the days, you didn't have to be a pro, you just had to be there. So there's a lot of factors that play into success of nurture and na nature and opportunity meets preparedness. That's what luck is. So really how much were you prepared and what kind of preparation? So the answer is, are you destined? Yes, if you believe you are destined and you hold to that belief, you are gonna work as if you're destined yeah. for it and you are gonna do what it takes. And equally, you would be surrendered to know that sometimes what you think is your destiny is not really your destiny because your destiny sometimes manifests in better ways than you would have wanted it to be. Mm. So I'm 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 a big fan of hard work. Yeah. Uh, equalized with surrender, because if you're purely hippying it out, nothing happens. Yeah. And if you actually burn yourself expecting results and the results don't come, then you feel twice as depressed. So really it's about enjoying there's a there's a saying that came across all that came across all the spiritual books that I read, all the uh texts that said work uh for your today as if you are going to live forever. Hmm. And work for the afterlife as if you're going to die tomorrow. So when you're thinking about this life, I'm working like I'm going to be here forever. I'm planting the seeds. I'm doing the work. There's always something's going to happen for me. I'm going to get the results. But when I'm thinking about an afterlife or that my life is going to end, I'll start thinking, hold on. I'm not here to just accumulate wealth. I want to leave impact. I want to yeah. leave a legacy. I want to leave the world as a better place. Then you suddenly start balancing that out. And and this, you need to think in that mentality. I like that. You know, here the name of the podcast is Own the Future, where we talk about how we can shape our futures, how we can shape the futures of people around us. And I also have a sh solo show called Weaver and Loom, 
which is, you know, going off the symbolism of fate, of the weaver and the loom. And the tagline for the show is where destiny is woven, which is this thing of saying you have the ability to weave your destiny. But I do believe kind of just as you articulated is a catch 22 in some ways it, it you can't just make up any story about yourself. You still have the narrative that you were born into. You can't just decide I'm a billionaire and poof you are. There's still your innate giftings and abilities, your your God-given passions and desire that maybe I that I believe that God has placed in us, but then we have the ability to step into that or not step into that. We have the ability to take action on that purpose for our life, or we can be passive waiting for whether it's you believe that God's going to do it for you, your mom, the government, your friends is going to take that action. And that's those doors are just going to open. But like you described, it's not that way. Maybe there are special seasons where you're able to accelerate because of the the season that you're in or the climate that you're in. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you are top in class. Yeah, I mean, and this is back to, to your question about success. And, you know, if if success for you is being top of class, that's one thing. Uh, for me now, success is has become more defined by fulfillment. Mm. Because the issue with the race, you know, it doesn't matter if you're number one. You're bound to become number two. You're bound <laughs> to get, an, you be, you're bound to become the older lion where the new lion takes you out. You're bound to become the older totally. wolf where the new wolves are going to take you out. If that's your game, then that's your game, but that's still a bit of a rat race. It is. You need a bit of that to drive you. Uh, however... Isn't that where legacy comes in? Isn't that Not where? Really, no. If that's if that's the, what you believe legacy is, if if, well, if you want to be the legacy of number one. No, that's not what I meant. What I mm-hmm. meant is, isn't that where if you add this this belief, like you said, where live as if you know for the afterlife, as if you gonna, die tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, as if you die tomorrow. In this, okay, how am I going to leave a legacy? Which isn't how am I going to have an ivory tower with my name on it? But how am I going to impact the next generation in a way that is selfless but it's actually serving isn't that a way to counteract i'll just throw you a curveball here Please. you know selflessness is the biggest selfish act you'll ever do in life totally because the whole claim of being selfless makes you feel so great that you're better than everybody else because you surrender yourself so much and by that you get the most value so you've been using this word surrender how can you define for us how you use that word how you the the word picture that you have in your mind when you say the word surrender i definitely want to put some some fine print before i start i'm definitely not the most surrendered person i can't i can't claim to be are you However, talking about like surrendering I, to god are you talking about surrender, surrendering I mean, to I, again even life circumstances? I, I believe in a, in a higher power when i i was in india i for, for those who don't know a bit of my story i bought a one-way ticket to india in 2012 came back in 2013 and and one of the highlights of that journey was meeting, by coincidence, a Swami or a guru who had been in caves for 13 years in in meditation and solitude. Mm -hmm. And when I asked, I I had to ask him that question. I mean, I come from a religious family. There was a period where I, you know, I started exploring everything from the fact that there is no God. Uh, Let me consider I'm a caveman and I'm searching for God. How how did a a caveman conceptualize God? 
And I had to ask that guy. I said, listen, if there's somebody who would have discovered God, it would be somebody who sat in solitude for 13 years, which is pretty much what most uh, spiritual leaders and, and prophets did. They, they all had to go to solitude to discover the answer for themselves. And he goes, I don't know what you want to call it, God or nothing, but there's definitely something bigger than all of us out there. So in reference to that, some people don't like the word God. They, you want to refer to it by any word that we, yeah, the mind likes to put labels. I think regardless of the label, God, universe, uh, bigger uh, spirit, uh, unified spirit, there is whatever you want to call it out there. I believe in something bigger than all of mm -hmm. us, whether it's collective consciousness, whether it's God, uh, in whichever name any religion gives it. I definitely believe in the existence of that, that super, super power, super computer, grand architect, whatever it is. So I definitely believe in that. And, and do you have any, or do you want to care to share how exactly you view that, whether it's divine power or God, for lack of a better word, or for a better word, how do you... How have you come to conceptualize and believe what is that entity that you that you believe? I mean, you were you went searching for years. What was the conclusion that you came to besides that? Yep, there is something. It's a it's a bit it's a bit uh, complex to answer because it's very personal. So for me to give an answer that would make sense to everybody might not happen. But, not, but that's not okay. Short. We're not here however, to make sense for everyone, right? However, I mean, I, I I'll say what I say, and it might resonate with some and might not at all with others. Uh, and I'd give the same answer that my guru or my Swami gave. There is something bigger than all of us out there. Call it a frequency, call it, you know, when you tune in it, you know it's there. It's that inner knowing, it's that inner being, it's that, that whatever put that one in 500 million in, inside of us. I mean, we can always analyze and track and say evolution theory and we evol evolved from monkeys or we evolved from even do you something actually believe, Do you believe that? No I, no, I think this is us trying to make sense of things we don't understand because nobody's able to explain the beginning of the creation right everybody gives theories exactly. from from one to ten but nobody talks about zero to one and the magic is zero to one talk about god and the creator in the context of whatever brought zero to one however the challenge in all the sciences that are trying to explain it is like a plant trying to explain a human existence you see, a grain of rice might try to justify and explain a human by saying, but how does a human get planted? And when does a human grow? And how much water does it need? We're trying to explain a, a, a concept of a God yeah. based on our conception. So whether the word, the right word is God or universe, or maybe as we evolve, we come up with different terminologies and then you get anti-religious people or anti-spiritual mm -hmm. people that say this is all blah, blah, because we're becoming scientists. And just to let you know, I've studied futuristic religions, including the Church of Scientology, including including Raelians who believe that the aliens are the creators. Yeah. I've looked into all of those. And eventually we are all trying to create mental constructs. And guess what? This is going to be limited to our mental capacity today because how we think today is a lot more evolved than in the past. And the gods that we create in our own mind were always matching our ability at that time. But it was always philosophers that were able to give consistent descriptions of the concept of a creator and, mm -hmm. a, and a God. So it is something that is beyond us. It is, you can call it collective consciousness. You can call it uh, uh, the, the grand architect. It, you know, it's not a, a, a white bearded man in the sky. It, it is something bigger. Right. We just need images to make it easier for our brain to accommodate. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the evolution of spirituality and religion, this is you know a lot of things I learned from my guru in the caves. Uh, let's let's take Hinduism for example. 
at that time, if you're trying to explain a concept of a god to a simple farmer, you're not going to use terms of things that don't exist because a farmer deals with the realities of their life, which is what? Which is animals. So suddenly you see that Hinduism, because it came out in India at a time where majority of people were farmers, so you had to explain God to them by symbolizing with animals. Mm-hmm. So you use a cow and a monkey and a snake to tell a story that carries that around. So as religions evolved, the storytelling became more complex. So as you went on from some of these uh, Buddhist or Hindu religions, you went on, for example, forward, and then you got to Abrahamic religions, and the and the concept of what a god is started evolving, and the descriptions became a lot more complex that required a bit of imagination. So, okay, so here's a question: Do you think that the these they started evolving because as humankind, our intelligence and our worldview and our way of conceptualizing the world began to grow? Or do you believe that because man began to have more encounters with the divine, like the Abrahamic religion, like the like these prophets, they had these encounters with the divine, which it would seem, at least the, the argument that we'd have from most institutionalized religion, is that these prophets had some revelation and then shared that revelation or are you are you making the argument like, well, they were just philosophers and they were philosophizing? Or are you saying, no, there's actually, there was spiritual encounters that happened during those 13 years in the cave that gave them some sort of spiritual encounter that was outside of this physical realm that we live in? I think those who got the messages always got the same consistent understanding and comprehension. How they conveyed that to their people is how it changed. And so you're saying that, I don't know if I can agree because a lot of the, when you look at the major world religions, there's a lot of discrepancy between them. Not as much as you think if you read it in the right way. You see, when you're reading, when you're reading, you know how in some of these movies, uh, you know, the Indiana Jones type movies, suddenly they realize they've been reading the scripture all wrong and they suddenly discover that. Right, the, it, this the is how it's all. Code we're, and... we're, we're, this is the shock of my life because the only way for me to understand a lot of the things that I understood was to start from scratch. I said, listen, I am born as a caveman. I just don't believe in the existence of anything. I'm a caveman. And I started watching documentaries as much as possible, readings, documentaries, search the net about when was the concept of God created? And not from the books that came after, literally going to what was found on caves, what was found in carvings, and then slowly layering that on top of each other. And you'd be shocked that there's a lot more similarities than discrepancies. It's just that human nature looks for discrepancies for a simple reason. Do you know why? No, tell me. So I can be better than you. Because when I can so you're show- you're saying it's just a it's culture war. It's, it's human war, it's... even within the same religion. I mean, look, within Islam, we find that Sunni, Shia, within Christianity, you've got Catholics and Orthodox, and within every single, you've seen it in every single religion. Even a few years ago, there was a lot of mess with, with uh, I think in Myanmar, Buddhists were, were burning and killing Muslim. Buddhists is supposed to be the most peaceful religion on yeah, earth. But not so... when you look at the foundation of Buddhism. I mean, how they set up those high places of Hindu and Buddhist temples, of those child sacrifice. So, so what I'm saying is a lot of those were related to human nature. Okay. Even the, the, story, the stories, if you would study those not secondhand regurgitated stories, 
because all of those were were politicized as much as anything being politicized. So you're saying now. even the original writings where the Buddhist priests and the Hindu priests are saying this is how you set up these high places. If you go to the original scriptures, you'd see it was all interpretations by man. If you would read today the scripts and the messages, and you talk to the people, when when I sat with a proper Hindu uh, guru or a swami who's been in solitude, who's not commercialized. Mm. I was living really simple and I went up to the mountains to talk to him and we spent time with him and you understand that this is guy this guy's for real he's not he's not commercial he's like I don't know how I ended up meeting him you listen to him and you realize that this guy is is really talking about truth okay the but here's the thing people don't like simple things we like symbologies because that's, that's the true. mind we like, we like symbology story. we like stories we like symbologies we like drama and we like to stand out so if the story being told tells that we're all the same, yeah, it's great to say it, but as long as I'm better than those who are saying we're not the same. But when everybody's saying we're the same, well, I need to stand out because I'm a better, the same type of a person because now you get the religions. And then we get to one religion so I that's can choose It's all hierarchy to be. that you're talking about. But that's human nature. That's human nature. We all want to be. And and you'd see that in a lot of the stories of a lot of the prophets where, where the, the symbologies of uh, pagan symbols was created by people. It was even, and even when that came, then you had, you know, uh, Abraham, you know, fighting all of that. And at that time, he was going against what was the norm of, of what the religion was because what people needed- What specifically are you referring to there? Oh, we're going to go really deep into a lot of religious <laughs> this discussions. Is this is really fascinating. It's <laughs> yeah, fascinating. But, but depending on which angle of the stories, but the yeah. reality is that without getting to angles, because I don't want to get here to, you know, some people might say, okay, it's being told in different angles. Look, all of these stories get told in different angles, whether you're looking at it from Judaism, Christianity, For Islam, sure. each one tells a different angle. But that being said, if you forget about the angle that might create differences, you'll find that the central messages are always the same. The central messages are about, you know, finding something that is good for the greater good, having the discipline, adding the value, leaving the legacy in whichever, I mean, it wasn't the term of legacy, but it was about doing something that leaves the planet as a better place. Whether you believe in reincarnation or not is irrelevant because somehow we do get reincarnated because guess what? We get dissolved into planet Earth and our body gets consumed by plants that you eventually are end up eating. So like it or not, we are being recycled. The discussion is always on the soul, not on the body. Yeah, but I think so. But the, these worldviews that you're talking about have drastically different, um, I don't know the word essence to it, but drastically different ideologies and worldviews behind it, just like you were talking about, um, you know, reincarnation versus maybe something more of an Abrahamic um, lineage might believe where, you know, it's your soul that's going up, but there's... Depends what you define reincarnation as. You see, it's always, it's always the question. That's why I like to start. This is something I learned so from here's, Ron here's Kaufman, the question, by the way. Yeah. Do you believe in absolute truth? Because you were talking, the reason I'm asking it so directly is because you were talking about how you're on the mountain, you meet this guy who's been in a cave for 13 some odd years, and you were saying that he was speaking truth. Do you believe that there is absolute truth or is truth all relative? I mean, to start with, we live in a, in a world of duality and polarity. Yes. So there's yin and yang, right and left, up and down. So there's no absolute. What is up? The only absolute truth is the creator, which which can balance both. In this world, there will always be two. 
I, I I agree that truth is held in tension. So so in that case, in that case, if you're asking me, is there absolute truth? Well, I, I mean, maybe that guy speaks absolute truth in a certain space. But but do you believe long- that you know? Because right now, what's happening in society, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Everyone's like, well, speak your truth. Well, that might be true to you. This is true to me. But it seems like people are doing it in a way that's more defensive and it's more making excuses for whatever they want to do in their life. Let me simplify to you. Do you want me to answer you in macro or micro? Both. Yeah, well, you see, it changes a lot because because the fact that we even have something as macro and micro shows you how polar this world is. Because what works in micro doesn't work in macro, and and reality <laughs> is and the reality is answering these questions. If you're talking on a on a small segment in history versus history, so let's take an example of the American Civil War. During that time. Uh, that was very disastrous. What was happening is, you know, drastic. People are dying. Blood is being shed. Uh, people fighting each other, north and south, da, 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 whatever. All of these stories. Zoom out a little bit, you know, and zoom up, and look at that segment in the history of a country, and tell me if America would be America today, regardless of which side you're on. But would have America gained the power it has today had it not gone through that? Now suddenly the discussion changes. So in the context of things in the grand scheme of things, well, this was necessary in the evolution of that country and in evolution of the world for these things to happen. And that happened throughout history. You get people like Martin Luther King that made a lot of impact, mm-hmm. you, you know, Malcolm X, you name anybody, yeah. whether regardless, by the way, I'm not here with or against, I'm just talking about it conceptually. Right. In the micro, things could seem really terrible and tragic, but then on the macro, you can see actually that it was and, and this is So when, when I talk about truth, in my belief, the truth has to be a little bit more up, zoomed out and inclusive in that space. And, and a lot of dynamics mm-hmm. change, but without ignoring the rights of the micro, without ignoring the rights of the moment, because I cannot agree to the fact that because a country needs to evolve, there has to be bloodshed. Right, which is what a lot of ideologies would say. Because that brings, you know, the Hitlerism and, and things yeah. like that. So I'm not saying I agree to that. But that gets very philosophical because had it not been for a lot of that, and you'd, you'd realize this has happened in the history of almost all countries, and that's the ebb and flow, the yin and yang of history. So I'm not here to decide if at this stage of evolution of history, because for me to answer that, I have to zoom out a lot mm-hmm. and say, are we as humanity still are, still in our infancy? If you're talking about, about the evolution of humanity, you have to really zoom out and understand something. We like- And by, to, by evolution of humanity, you're not talking about how we came from apes. You're talking about just how we you have see this, we're, evolved you're, you're still, as, you're still here. I want you to go up really like not 30,000 feet, 300,000 feet and look at it in, 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 con, in a bigger context. Even talking about apes is too small of a discussion. Well, I think, ape, I think you know, the, the story of apes, it's like two Volkswagen wagons <laughs> crashed and out drove a Corvette. It's like, well, how did that happen? Well, it took a billion years. A, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It's, I mean, yeah, this, these discussions, I think, in that time, this was the best theory they could come up with. Mm-hmm. Eventually, somebody might laugh at it. It's irrelevant at this stage. If you zoom out even more than mm-hmm. that and, and ask a question, if we believe ourselves to be really advanced humans today, we're sitting, putting these headsets and have these microphones and <laughs> we get on a metro and we have GPSs and iPhones and all of that, uh, rewind a little bit, and when did the Industrial Revolution start? 100 years, 120 years ago. So about 300 years, 200 to 300 years when they invented the steam engine, basically. Okay. Okay, so about two to 300 years. What were we doing before that? And how long have we been on planet Earth? We were farming. We were farming and cavemen that evolved into farmers, and that segment of history is how big? 
hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. So hundreds, if not millions, I'm not even going back to cavemen. I'm just going to talk about the farming space, you know, where we evolved a little bit because with cavemen, now you've got different evolutions. Right. Hundreds of thousands of years, 300 years, this small, this small. It's a dot on this. Right. Yeah. If you and really, the amount of change that we've seen in the last thirty years. So you really, we really think we're evolved. I mean, I think, I think we're not as evolved as we think. Because if you want to talk about some philosophical points of view, I could tell you maybe the pharaohs and the pyramids were just so advanced that they didn't need even electronics. They reached a point where all of this became telepathic, and at that point they didn't need much. And whatever you have as heliographics is like a barcode that we're unable to interpret because humanity was erased and this is what was left over. Or maybe they got so advanced and left the planet and, and we're, we're left with the leftover in Jurassic Park. So that's why I said these discussions could get really complicated and it requires sessions by itself and we have to yeah. establish some grounds before we get into these discussions because it could get really general philosophic. So how, about, how about this? Um, let me bring it back down into maybe a more concise question. Do you believe in absolute morality? that there are certain laws of nature as uh, philosophical, what did you say that? Philosophers would speak of the, the specific laws of nature that are immutable. I, as, I definitely as truth believe in so. that way. I believe that these things would, would, because you zoom out when you're answering that, those would apply to any time. Okay. Basically, there's, I, I do not come across a religion that praises killing the other. There has always been, you know, uh, an eye for an eye, uh, you know, th this this has always been there. Self-defense has always been there. But I haven't come across a religion that by definition or a spiritual practice that by definition went on praising killing other people. As much as some people misinterpret and read some scriptures as doing that, they are taking the context out. Mm -hmm. So they're taking the context of defend yourself or defend your message or whatever. So... As we're evolving, the message gets complex. So you can't just say defend yourself because, well, yeah, I mean, what constitutes an attack and humanity is evolving and complexity is evolving. At the simple terms of it, none of none of the spiritual practices that I came about praise killing another man because eventually, you know, they say an eye for an eye would make the world blind. So yes, and also turning which the- Which Martin Luther said, which he was quoting Jesus, where Jesus commands his followers, you say an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, I say if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. Which is also, not. I, I don't know, and again, you're getting me into a lot of religious discussions here. That I didn't think you were going to go that, this way. That this might interesting. offend some people. So again, I don't I don't mean to offend anybody, but also researching, and I'm not pro any religions. I told you, I research all religions. Yeah. Uh, look uh, into the lost years of Jesus. You see, you'll find that there was a lot out there uh, talking about Jesus up to a certain age. And the next thing, it was in his 30s or 40s, mm -hmm. I think. 30s. Yeah, 30s. So what happened in between? Not, not much is being taught about that. And nobody bothers to ask because we're fed stories that we just repeat and regurgitate. And you know, and, and you realize that there, there are records of him being uh, around the areas of Tibet and learning from Buddhism. And this is where Turn the Other Cheek came from. Because Buddhism is fairly peaceful and, and, and you know, accommodating more than a lot of the other spiritual practices out there. And and the same, by the way, happened with Islam. Uh, Prophet Muhammad studied with, with uh, Jewish uh, rabbis when he was young. All these are evolutions of a religion layered over a religion. And that's why I say the, the more I studied, I realized there is more similarities, more commonalities than there are differences. However, as people, we like to pick on the differences because it helps us stand out. 
Because if I say I'm a Muslim, then my religion came later, then I'm better than you as a Christian, and a Christian is better than a Jew, and a Jew is better than a Hindu, and a Hindu is better than a... It's just us. Because even the minute we get into a single religion, then that's not good enough. Because hold on, I am more superior than you because I am this sect and you are that sect. And so, and I found that in every single religion we've come across. That's human nature. That's got nothing to do with the spiritual practice. Mm. Spiritual practice, back to your point about the absolute truth, spiritual practices were there for micro and macro. Those are the only things that ever could tackle both on the same layer because they were, they were not, just about the context, they were so zoomed out that they were taking into consideration what needed to be done on a day-to-day -day basis in our daily interactions, still catering to the greatness of everybody. Mm. It, ca it catered to the micro and macro at the same time. And that, that, in my opinion, is absolute truth. The interpretation changes over time because back at the time, there was no mobile. So how do I discuss a mobile phone and a TV in the context of, of kosher or not kosher, for example? Mm -hmm. So this requires a bit right. of advanced thinking and it requires people that are understanding and open-minded to interpret that. And it requires people that study all religions, not their religion only. If you want to really be understanding, you have to study all religions. You have to do comparative religion studies. You have to really understand the logic and have analysis and have context and, and analyze the logic of certain things being said at a certain time. Uh, otherwise, everybody's going to turn Amish. Mm. So, you know, it's not to say if these people believe it's their job to hold the energy of, of holding certain things. And that's why you still have sheikhs and, and, and uh, rabbis and gurus. Their job is to hold the the original energy as it came to planet earth they they do anchor that and they hold that concept as it was their job is to preserve it and other people have to move on because we can't all be sitting in the caves that's why i didn't stay up, up in the mountains with my guru because right. that's his role my role is to serve to serve the world in this place on a camera on a microphone on a stage i don't think my guru can speak to people the way i'm speaking and but I wouldn't be who I am today without meeting him and without getting my learnings from him. So, so what what do you think about what's happening in much of the world today? At least from my vantage point, what's probably more kind of like the secularism push, um, a, a lot of secular humanism, a lot of uh, moral relativism, where they're they're taking a lot of these. Um, truths, these moral absolute truths that we would probably agree on that you would say you look across most of the religions and when you boil them down to what you would say their essences, you see some key similarities that they would all agree on, such as don't kill someone. Um, but when you would, from my vantage point, I see a lot, uh, a skew going in culture where people are trying to actively undermine some of those key pillars or cornerstones of morality. Do you see that as well? Or is or how would you see that macro shift of culture going today? What if I told you all of this was a charade? All of what was a charade? Everything we're living this whole life is just a contextually it's a it's a an improvised act. We're being all observed. And eventually, if you zoom out, all our life is a, a flash in a pan, as they say. 
all the life that we live, even if we live a hundred years, a hundred years in the context of it's millions nothing. of it's years. It's nothing. It's a breath. It's a vapor. It's nothing. We're and, and grass the, here today, gone tomorrow. So, so in that context, all of these are a construct of our mind. We're the ones creating all this drama and all these stories and all of this. And at the end of the day, if we, if you zoom out so much, we're we're as much as a cell in a body. And as much as you lose so many cells every night, you wake up in the morning, you don't sweat over it. All you know, you don't even know how many cells you lost overnight. It just leaves your body. But isn't, but isn't what we believe, isn't that important? Isn't the, the, what we believe about our origin, where we came from, the fact that, that even you talk about that we have a God, use in your book, you, which I love your book, by the way, I think it's the way you structured it, just the action points, the celebration points, so brilliant, so smart. But you, you use the word, you know, God-given talent, your God-given abilities. And in, in some ways, that's your worldview that's coming out that's actually shaping your worldview of what does it mean to live passionately. And I, I love, and I want to talk about this soon, but uh, the word passion. But so our worldview, the way that we see the world affects the way that we live. And so if someone sees the world as, well, we're we're all just apes. We're all just amoebas that have evolutionized a little bit more. And it doesn't matter if we kill people because it doesn't matter. That person doesn't have human dignity. They're, it's all nothing. It's all nihilism. Their life then takes certain actions because according to cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Our thoughts produces our emotions. It produces our actions. According to Lao Tzu, watch your thoughts. Thoughts that become your... Your words, your words become your actions, your actions becomes your habits, your habits become, define who you are. Yep. Becomes yep. your destiny. Yeah. So so that's where I'm I understand that okay, sure, we could yes, when you zoom out, our lives are minuscule and we're when, gone. When when you realize that, the discussion changes because the concept of your belief changes. Because currently my belief is what's happening today is the biggest thing. How come this person is late? How come Mustafa gave me an appointment and never showed up? He doesn't know who I am, what I'm doing, or vice versa. How come Lucas? These beliefs are are very viewed in a very, very microscopic yeah, point but I'm of not, view. Yeah, I'm not talking about necessarily that. So so because obviously that's so micro. Of course. Yeah, but then that comes a perspective because where we're sitting that looks so micro to some people looks like the end of planet Earth. Yeah, and then people people who are in a place where their decisions define the destiny of people. So let's assume you're a CEO of an organization that has 60,000 employees, which is not unheard of. You look in the US, some of these big Fortune 500 companies, yeah. 60, 70,000 employees. So suddenly this becomes even so micro that it's not even worth the discussion for the CEO. Now zoom out that you become a president now that discussion becomes even a lot less relevant. And there's a danger of these things becoming very but, less relevant. But as we zoom out more and more and more, we're beginning to talk about worldview more and more and more and our belief of where we all came from and where we are all going on the large macro arc of our existence. Correct? True. And the question then, this is why you see this discussion could go in circles because it becomes very philosophical. And that's why I always pull it down to, well, at the end of the day, if you understand what is your true purpose and passion is purpose, mm -hmm. that's all you got to worry about. Everything else is a little bit too much for every individual, because at the time that I'm at, at the time that I'm born in, at the time that I'm handling a situation, mm -hmm. all I got to ask myself is, what is my purpose and does that drive me towards that purpose? And in that moment, I have to tune in 
to inwards, something that's inside me that is not just relevant to the context around me, but more to what's going inside me. Right. And that's the connection, whether you call it spirit, you call it God, you call it uh, inner being, have mm -hmm. any word for it, is that when you close your eyes, you go inside, because guess what? That's the place you're gonna go when you close your eyes and never open it when you die. That's when yep. you take your last breath and you close your eyes. Guess where you're going? You're not going outwards. You're going, you're going to that place that nobody wants to go now because what's there suddenly makes everything around us irrelevant. Listen, I'm not claiming by any shape or form that, that I'm enlightened. I'm not claiming that I know the answer. No, I don't, but what I don't I know, feel like you are, of what, course. What no. I know though is that everybody that I've spoken to that has spent a lot of time into that, when they go into that place, they find the answer. And that includes CEOs, that includes sports people. They all talk about something deep inside that's driving them. And I'll give you actually the simplest answer to that. It was another uh, Baba. He was, he, was a, he was an African Baba that came you know, to India. And I asked him about spirituality and his answer to me was, I pray to that, whichever it is that wakes me up every morning. You, you go to bed, you sleep, you close your eyes. And suddenly at, at a certain time you go like this. Whatever that power is, that's your inner being, that's your spirit, that's your soul, that's your connection to the source. What is sitting at the other side of the source? I don't know. A man with a computer, a bunch of aliens, uh, a bearded man. I don't know. That's irrelevant of discussions. That's, this is all mental construct. If we tune into that purely and disconnect from all the surroundings, whatever comes inside is the truth. And at that time, that will be your truth. That will be my truth. The challenge is that sometimes your truth and my truth don't align. And doesn't mean you're wrong, doesn't mean I'm wrong. So then how can we call it truth? It's my truth. And that uh, that is a bit of a tricky because if I am... Is, so, it, is it because our etymology of words are is loose? You see, here's where, again, we're getting into complications. And then the reality is I don't think there's ever a single answer because the minute there's a single answer is I think that would be a bit of singularity where we're all connected. and Which is why it's more important to ask what question, right? It's what the questions that we're asking are far more important than the quote unquote answers because whenever you land on an answer rather than trying to live out a question, then you become institutionalized and systemized and you miss the whole meaning of the Look, question. Th there's definitely an ultimate truth. If you want an answer that has an ultimate truth, it's 52 or 42. For 42. 42. 42. It's 42. 42, so. yeah. I was going to reference that. I didn't know if you knew the reference. Yeah, it's I mean, 42. some people might not, might not know. Yeah. They go, go Hitchhiker, watch Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. To the Galaxy. Genius Great movie. Book. But, so the point is, if that's the kind of truth you're looking for, well, guess what? It's 42 and you go interpret it. Yeah. But yeah. in a moment, in a context, you do what you believe, what you truly believe is right. And sometimes what you believe is right might prove that it is wrong later. It is all contextual. Uh, in that context, we could be lost forever in philosophical discussions. Right, so, because it's all hypotheticals. So, so we can, you know, we can make this conversation very theoretical and zoom out. And so, how about this? I going like to back make it to, practical. Going back to purpose. Yeah, you believe that it is something that is written. It's like a code, like our DNA that is written inside us, and we have to go inside and we have to search and seek out why we were placed here and how to live that out. I believe I believe at this stage of humans evolution maybe somebody would look a few thousand years from now look back at us and laugh for now I think but this for, is for where this we age are. 
for, at this age, this is what, what we need. What I believe humanity needs is people tuning in to that innate calling inside them, that one in 500 million possibility. When we were still a sperm, there was 500 million other possibilities. Which is that just insane. Co could have manifested. It's mind blowing. It's crazy. We were we were that small. And there, yes, we can say survival for the fittest. It was the strongest that won. If it was the strongest, what is it that was so strong to drive us so much within that, yeah, that mm. would make us follow that and win over 500 million other possibilities? If that's not passion and if that's not purpose, I don't know what is. Yeah. So I'd rather have these discussions about a little bit more than just these big philosophical stuff is that, listen, you got something imprinted, encoded in you. Yeah. That's for the bigger benefit of the universe, by the way. Because if the universe needed a Martin Luther King, it could have been any other person except a Martin Luther King, except that that person was determined enough to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So everybody had that one in 500 million in them. And again, there's a puzzle. I believe the universe sprinkles ideas. The universe sprinkles things. So anybody who invented anything needs to always ground and remind themselves it could have been anybody else totally. except them. If they get into their own ego, they start thinking they are the creator or the God, they're forgetting they're the messenger. Mm. If, if I have a letter from the president that says this has to be done i'm not the president i have to remember i'm the messenger you're the messenger and it's the same with all the prophets eventually all the prophets came to deliver certain messages that came from them from higher being they have higher frequencies call it god creation creator mm -hmm. yeah, universe yeah. eventually all of this is driving us to hopefully one day as humanity evolve so hopefully we tune in to a higher frequency and become less of a disease, mm. the same way a disease in a body where the cells are fighting each other, but even in a diseased body, even somebody who's sick in a hospital still can see, still can eat. So you see, it's not totally disastrous. I'm not saying the world is bad and everything is wrong. It's just the evolution of who we are. And even in those cells, cells die. So I don't know, maybe this whole world is, as you see, you've seen those pictures where it shows earth and it zooms out and it shows the solar power oh, and it keeps yeah. zooming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're not even a blip on the radar. I don't no, know how- No, when you look at the- The, the, the context the universe, of things, it's we're just, just I mean, I, I, I think if there's aliens there so far away, they probably don't even have time to listen to us. We're, as, we're like white noise for as much as I could care. So there's a million interpretations to that and it's all beautiful. Like we could look really intelligent having these conversations. And I spent a lot of years in researching all of these things, by the way, we can have these conversations. What I know is by the end of any research I did, I still had to wake up in the morning and I still had to go to work to pay rent because none of this would go <laughs> to my true. land. None of it. So let me summarize all of this for you. Yeah, please. My, the way I say it is in God, we believe, but people take cash. <laughs> I so like it's that. that simple. So it's so, true. So we have to, today, as we stand, beautiful, we can om, we can shanti, we can pray, we can cross, we can do whatever we want to do as signs and symbologies. These are all things that for us on the inside. And if that doesn't translate to what we're doing on the outside, day in, day out, then it doesn't work. It's between fighting. It's, it's, so, it's, no point. so what you're saying is, and I, what I, I love your articulation of it, which is, you know, a, a Judeo-Christian worldview would say, you know, we were created in the image of God. In some ways, you're you're echoing that in your own verbiage, which is one in 500 million that you were placed, everyone listening to this right now, was born for a reason with your unique DNA, your unique purpose, a reason that you are here that you, that no one else can tell you, you can't necessarily read, you can't go up to someone and say, hey, I wrote this book on passion, I'm going to tell you 
what you're passionate about, they have to seek that out within it's themselves. My job is to ask the questions. All I do yeah. in this book is you see there's more questions than answers. And I love it. And and I that that came to me during my meeting with my Swami. And the first time I'm, you know, when first interactions with him, I was really a bit depressed, feeling lost. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I, I was going to him really depressed and kind of crying and and he, he would he had a you know very long beard and and he used to play with his beard and he goes do you know what you are thirsty for because if you do not know what you are thirsty for you cannot quench your thirst and that was quite a moment for me mm. because i thought i bought a one way ticket to india looking for an answer and I realized I didn't have the clear question. I, I was just looking for an answer. You're looking for 42. I'm looking for 42 and I was getting 42, which never made sense. But the minute he asked me the right question, that was an aha moment for mm -hmm. me. And it was as I moved on and I had medical condition that you know I healed from naturally, but then I had to reflect, what if this was a cancer? What if this was the last day of my life? Would I have been proud about my life? And I realized I'm thirsty for impact. Well, okay, that was half the answer because I didn't know how to move impact, how to do impact. You could you could become an environmentalist. You can become a million things to do impact. So, how can I have impact in a way that's unique to me? I still didn't have that answer. As I progressed, 2012, I went to India. 2013, I came back. In March 2013, I did an inspirational talk just to, I, out of for sharing purely. You know, end of March, I get invited to this event. I wasn't sure if I wanted to speak. I decided and I said yes last minute. I shared my story, which was called Cavalli to Manali. In May, I'm sitting around, I think May, I was sitting in Media One Hotel in Media City and a random person passing by suddenly like goes by and just comes straight at me. He goes, hey, you're that speaker guy. I said, yeah. He goes, you did your talk about India. I said, yeah. He goes, you changed my life. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is what I'm thirsty for. So you see, if I went looking for it, I was looking for it, but I didn't find it. And yeah. the minute I stopped looking for it, it found me. So it's very interesting. I was looking for so many answers before. And the minute I stopped, I just bought a one-way ticket to India. I found the Swami. So, but I'll tell you, had I not been looking also, I would have probably not ended up there. So do you ask me, is it, is it, are we destined or are we doing, honestly, who, I don't know what to, what to tell people. All I tell people is pursue that calling inside of you because sometimes the calling for me was buy a one-way ticket to India. And sometimes the decision you make look like the most stupid decision in micro. Mm -hmm. When you zoom out and look back, it looks like the smartest decision. It's a maybe, maybe not. There mm -hmm. is no, I'm sorry to confuse people more. The reality is a confusing world. And when you come to terms with the fact that the world is very confusing, the more yeah. we try to make sense of it, the more confused we will get. It is a bipolar world. It's a yin and yang world, sun and moon, day and night, male and female. The world is designed to be bipolar. Mm -hmm. And actually one of my mentors, Dr. John Martini, he said to me, bipolar people are people who are trying to be unipolar. Hmm, Their system collapses sense. because we are bipolar. We are crazy. When we come to terms with how crazy we are as people, how crazy we are as humans, and understand that nothing makes sense when you're trying to judge it from the mind because the mind is designed bipolar. You have left brain and right brain and somebody right. tells you, make up your mind. You cannot make up your mind. Your mind is designed to keep... Your mind is... This, it's intention. It's intentional to keep giving you this and that and this and that. And the only way you can decide is from here. 
It's from the cores, from the centers, from the heart. It's not the beating heart. It's that yeah. heart and language is the center. The heart of the city is the center of the city. So when you say in the heart is that center, that core, is that intersection of a cross. It's that heart that different religions talk about. It's that, you know, whether you, you pray to whichever religion, whichever way you do your hand, it's always talking about that core piece, whether it's mm -hmm. a bit up or a bit down. Yeah. This is the heart. This is the core. All I suggest is people tap into that. And whatever it's telling you, do it. In short term and in micro, it will seem like it doesn't make sense. It will seem painful as much as when you go to the gym, it might not seem mm -hmm. fun. But the destruction of the muscle that happens at the gym is what makes the muscle grow. Yeah, so uh, multiple things. But one thing you said, which was, it was in, I believe you were saying it was you were looking for the answer, but you realized you had to look for the question and you were trying to pursue it. So you were pursuing so hard what you thought was going to fulfill and satisfy and quench your thirst. And then when you stopped pursuing that, but you started doing something else that actually clicked into place, which is what you talk about in the beginning of your book, which is something that when I started reading, when I read that chapter on stop chasing happiness, I was like, this is my man right here. Happiness is like toxin. The, the, yeah, I say the pursuit of happiness is making it's, you sad. It's, it's killing people. So break. how did you come to that conclusion? And for those listening, can you break that down of what you mean by stop pursuing happiness? Well, happiness is something you give to yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it, happiness is a state of mind. So if you're not happy, it's a simple question. Why you're not happy? What do you need to come happy to become happy? Go and get it. Go and do it. And, and the challenge with that, happiness is a short-lived feeling. It's momentarily. Yep. And it belongs to the polar world where the polarity is when I'm happy, I'm bound to be sad. You have a, a happy night out with a lot of happy hours. Next morning, you wake up with a hangover. You eat food. You're bound to, at some point of time, end up in the toilet disposing the food. So every, every action has a consequence mm -hmm. and happiness is one of those. The more you're happy, 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 you are bound to get a downer because that's the nature of life. If you're alive, a straight line means you're dead. Your heart has to do up and down, up and down. That's, that's the way life moves. And if you're pursuing happiness, you have to understand the more, and this is what happens to people. They're trying to become happier and happier and happier, and they end up more sad, more sad, more yeah. sad. And then they try to be happy, happy, and then they feel more sad. And then Because but, they're pursuing pleasure. They're pursuing momentary pleasure, which and that, is going to leave you that, empty at I the mean, end of the, the day. The concept itself of that polarity is always going to exist. The question becomes, if, if happiness is momentarily, okay, and... Pursuing happiness is like a fire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the fire, the fire of desire. You yeah. have a desire, you fulfill the desire, and fulfilling the, the fire of desire requires wood. The more wood you put in a fire, the bigger the fire becomes and it eats up more wood. And then you put more fire and the fire becomes bigger. And this is back to your question. So you understand, I'm, I'm still with you on the first question and looping all of that back in about success. Mm -hmm. That fire of success was eating up more wood and more wood and the more wood it gets bigger and you become more successful and you want more and you want and more. And you have to keep on feeding and you feeding, have to keep the fire till that fire consumes you and not in a good way. Mm -hmm. And this is when I was feeling that emptiness because the more wood I would put inside that fire, the more empty it feels because it would consume and it gets bigger and it wants more. And that keeps you driving more towards success and more and more and more. So 
well, it's great that I just broke down where's the problem. The question becomes, so what what's is- What's the answer? What's the answer? What's the solution? What should we seek if it is not happiness? I'm not telling you to be sad. And I'm not telling you not to be happy. I'm saying if you want to be happy, go find things that make you happy and you realize what makes you happy is a lot simpler than you thought. Mm. All that is common across most people that I've come across, including myself, some of my friends, and a lot of the successful people, they all talked about the happiness comes from the simplest things in life. Mm -hmm. The happiness comes from the simplest things in life and the simpler it is, the easier for it to make you happy. Because the mind does not interfere in interpreting it. But when you allow the mind, the mind makes it very complex because the mind doesn't like simplicity because the mind justifies its existence by complicating things. And when it figures its things out, it proves its existence existence and an intelligent mind. So leaving that discussion aside, mm -hmm. because that could get very intellectual. Very intellectual, very deep in like so, three seconds. Yeah. So, so separate from that, the question is, so what is more important than just being happy? And what is more important than just being happy is fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Fulfillment, okay, if you break down the word, it comes from several syllables, fulfillment. And that is to fulfill or if you reverse it, it becomes to fill full that which you perceive is an empty point inside of you. Mm. That is an emptiness that's worth pursuing because that emptiness is the emptiness that is truly inside of you. And it's like when you want, when we were kids and you needed a triangle inside a, we tried square, to put a triangle yeah. inside Circle. a square, it just doesn't work. We're all trying to shove things that don't belong with each other. Mm -hmm. When you understand what's that actual calling, what is that emptiness that is inside of you that's a true calling? Yeah. And you find what fulfills that, what, what, fills it, what fills it full, you would fulfill your mission. And when you fulfill your mission, you will feel fulfilled. And you see, that's the difference between happiness and this. This one has an infinite connection mm -hmm. because the more you fulfill your mission, the more you feel fulfilled and the more you feel fulfilled, you get to fulfill more of your mission and that's filling you up more and more and you grow rather than the fire that eats up and consumes more wood. This is actually more of something that grows by consuming the energy and it grows and it produces. So rather than it consuming, it starts producing. And this is why fulfilled people and inspired people are inspiring people. So so you're saying because people who are pursuing momentary pleasures, normally the normal outplay of that is consumption. It's I'm trying to do something that will then make me happy. But the way that you're defining fulfillment is an action, an output of how are you putting out into the world. And it's that act of generosity, if you will, of action that causes that virtuous cycle that you're talking about of fulfillment, of fulfilling and Kind of true, but I would take out the, all the terminologies like like uh, the righteousness and the uh, consciousness and all these positive labels that we put on Did it. I, because say, that, I didn't realize uh, I said, I didn't say righteousness you, you or said consciousness. A few, you said a few words that were like uh, virtuous, virtuous. Virtuous, Yeah, but, I, I mean, said. again, that's a judgment in polarity because- uh, I meant a virtuous cycle as in something versus a, the- uh, the consumption cycle of but you pursuing see that's, happiness. Even this has up and down. So that definitely- but isn't that- It's like this. Infinity is is looping on itself. It's not going up or down. It's continuous. It's a cycle of evolution, revolution. That that infinity sign has evolution, revolution. I'll explain to you what, what that means. That is looping on itself. It's not that I'm putting out into the world. Actually, I'm putting in to myself. But you're talking about pr production rather than consumption. 
Well, I mean, I mean, you're going to have to consume to produce and produce to consume because you can't right. keep on, you can't, the reality is you can't keep consuming without exploding. But if you are, you know, what are you, you going to consume? How much true. food, how much food, how I much mean, food gotta, can, you, can eat? you eat without, you know, getting big if you're not, you know, if you're not getting, getting rid of those calories somehow. Uh, the fulfillment is about you fulfilling your mission and becoming fulfilled. That puts you in but, equilibrium with the, with the universe you're at today. Okay, so help me out here. This is, you know, here's like the, the fool's question. Um, okay, well, that's great. That's swell and all, but that doesn't necessarily leave me at any better place. It's like the, the answer is, okay, well, you just have to do what fulfills you. Yeah. Well, is it most people going to be saying, yeah, that's what I was trying to do? No, they were trying to get happy. You see, you're trying to get happy, not fulfilled. So if you're chasing fulfillment, what is the action steps that lead to fulfillment? Because Beautiful. So, so, so if, if you came to me today or I went to someone today and said, hey, do what, you know, fulfill your calling. Ha <laughs> ha. Well, you, you start you start What's by answering thing? some of the questions in the book because if you you know as you progress with my book you see that the book is mostly about questions and a lot of empty spaces for mm -hmm. you to reflect on. So mm -hmm. I ask a lot of questions there. However, I have two signature questions that I think are the strongest out of all of them. Not necessarily that they're the only ones, but they get you on the right track to start understanding the difference between fulfillment and happiness. Okay, so think about. If you, and, and I urge anybody listening to this, unless you're driving, everybody close your eyes, take a deep breath and imagine a checkbook in front of you and imagine, you know, visualize your name written on that check and today's date is on that check and in the number space, see $1 billion, that's one and nine zeros. Billion with a B. Billion with a B. One and nine zeros in today's value currency. It's a lot of money. And one billion dollars in letters. And see the check being signed. Now you're holding in your hands in front of you a check for a billion dollars. That money can buy you anything you want. That money can take care of your loved ones. Your family can give you the ability to risk anything on any project you want. It enables you to travel the world in a private plane, go to the most remote places, or buy and trade and do whatever you want. What would you do for a living? Me? You and anybody oh. that's listening. You see, that's that, <laughs> exactly. that, that, when you answer that question, you'd know the difference between fulfillment and happiness. Right. Because you've, ju I just given you a check that can buy you happiness. F totally. And the people say you money cannot buy you happiness. I'm sorry, I disagree. Money can buy you happiness. It might not buy you fulfillment because it can buy you a lot of things that can 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 make you happy. But the problem is people are pursuing happiness, and that's why they say money cannot buy you happiness. Well, no, money cannot buy you fulfillment. It can buy you a lot of things that can guide you on that route because fulfillment is not necessarily tied to that. But money is tied to things that are mostly materialistic. Even if not, you see, this is where you differentiate family values when people say, my family makes me happy. I think your family makes you more fulfilled, fulfilled. Not than just happy, just that we're used to using the term. Now, So it's just loose, it's just loose verbiage. Wrong terminology. Yeah. And this is where we rewind back to the definition of what passion is. And the second question is for those who answered it now, who said, okay, now I know what I'm going to do. And I'll tell you what the most answers that I get from most people. Uh, the next question is, can you guarantee living another month? No. Another week? No. 
another day? No. Till the end of this interview? No. You know, I, I have a friend who passed who passed away on stage in front of people. He was he was a for those of you in Dubai you might have known Dominic D'Souza. He was the publisher of CPI. He oh, was yeah. my first client in Dubai, and we were exchanging messages a couple of weeks before he passed away. Like, let's catch up. Time is passing by, and he dropped it on stage in front of people at one of his events. Shocking. So some people tell me like when I ask this question, some people in the event are like, "Well, I'm here at the event." I'm like, "No, trust me. At an event, I, I know I know somebody who passed yeah. away in an event." So. I don't know if I'm going to make it to the end of this interview. No. Nobody can guarantee. No guarantees. So for those of you listening, what are you waiting for? You just got your billion dollar question answered and you're not pursuing that. And if you're not pursuing that, you're hoping one day you're going to you're gonna make that big retirement check or win that lottery not ticket. Not going to happen. Go buy a house overlooking a beach, sit on a reclining chair and take a, talk about how beautiful of a life it could have been. I mean that's not that's it's not a way horrible. to live life. You got you got to live through Depressing. the roller coaster. You got to live that roller coaster of life. You got to. I mean, I'm not telling you. I'm not all of these people bashing on corporate and all of these people corporate. Like, I'm not telling you this or that. Your fulfillment, when you know what your fulfillment, you will know if corporate is for you or not, and you will know if entrepreneurship is for you or not. If you're just chasing it because somebody is rah rah at you to leave corporate or rah rah at you to become an entrepreneur, you mess up your life because you're still no different than everybody else who's just chasing. You know, you're it's chasing, another. You're in. You're in that that race that you're you, talking you're, about in the beginning. She's chasing a, cha- a race. Someone said entrepreneurship is now cool. Now is the fashion. Everybody's Small talking about fashion. it. Yeah, yeah it's, podcast. Let's do podcast. Well, listen, if podcasts don't fulfill you, don't do it. Right. Go do what really fulfills you. Community service fulfills you. Go do that. This is, you will, you will understand what true fulfillment because that, that is something that's inside here, not up here. Not to say that we right. still have to put goals. We still have to put plans. You still have to have discipline Just in your life. Just don't decide on your goals from here. Decide on your bigger goals and purpose coming from the heart and use this to execute. This is an execution machine, not a decision-making mm-hmm. machine. This is an analysis machine and an execution machine. The true decision-making has to come from here. And this is when you know what fulfillment is. Because when, I mean, when I step into areas of my life where I'm like, yeah, this is what I was made for. This is that, that space. It feels like, it feels like you have this wind at your back and you go into the flow where what's that, the, the hippocampus or whatever, not the hippocampus, that area shuts down and you're just in that flow and you're no longer having those judgmental like, well, is it, should I do A or B, should black or white? And so I can feel that. And I think people can feel when they step into that flow. For some people, it may be longer than others, but they're like, this is what I was made for. Do, is that something that you kind of point people to, towards of like, where did you feel that in your life or where did you sense that for uh, how, do, how do you find your calling actually well after answering those two questions you would realize that i have in total about 40 questions plus a few other yep. chapters that tackle different angles of values uh, systems Mind in mapping life. And i i do a lot of them that. so it's not either or and and you'll realize a lot of those questions are not necessarily about just the high points in your life because the question about what you know if today was the last day of your life what would you regret not doing mm-hmm. so i like I, that one I, I do ask about regrets like question and and this is not necessarily the highlight of a life this is actually what would you regret means that's something that you truly have a value for you see I, d- I don't talk about what made you happy because a lot of things that make you happy will be irrelevant when it's time to die mm-hmm. you're gonna look back and this is something i had to reflect on at, when i had my medical condition in india i was asking myself well 
all of these things that supposedly made me happy were not making me fulfilled and it does not make a difference if I'm going to die today. So impact does make a difference for me. And again, somebody might say all of this is an ego story that you're building a legacy and maybe when you die, you don't even know of this. Yeah, at least it makes, you know, I know it is more valuable to the world today. So leave, let alone if you don't believe in an afterlife, mm -hmm. if your life is to end by the end of life on this planet, guess what? I've definitely contributed more positively to this world while I'm here. And this is what matters. So and that's what matters to you. And this is what matters. Just do what you can in this in this world at the time that you're here. Do it in such full heartedness, knowing that you are leaving a positive impact. You are leaving a valuable impact. You're planting enough seeds that are going to be there past your point. When you know this is not necessarily causing damage in the current view that you're able to see. Some things you might do today, thousand years from now, you go, oh my God, this caused so much damage to the world. It's caused pollution. Right. At the time that I did it, it serves the it serves the best goal. I know I did it full heartedly because remember, outside measures are elastic. At the end of the day, your best best valuation comes from yourself. Right, because everything look, else is relative. When you look inside and you know, when you put your head on the pillow, you close your eyes. It doesn't matter who's next to you. You're going inside alone. Mm -hmm. You sleep That's next true. to you sleep next to a loved one, next to a parent. You sleep alone. It doesn't matter. You leave all of this and you go inside. When you go inside, you're the one who's sitting with yourself. When you sit with yourself, you're gonna know if what you did was right or wrong. I don't like the right and wrong labels, but it's is that was that the in the context of things what you believe is truly most valuable decision to have been made at mm -hmm. that point of time. And in that context, you would know. You could make the wrong decision, right? And again, you see, that's why I don't like the right and wrong discussions because they're very contextual. Like it could be maybe what you did was wrong for you, but you were meant to do it and it benefited somebody else because in a polar but if world- it goes, But if you're going back to absolute morality, you can make a. You can. We, we need a separate episode for this discussion because you're talking about absolute and morality, and those two alone need, need like two separate episodes before. Well, we... I'm, I'm just saying there there is, because because what I don't want it to do is skew into this. Well, it's all relative. Where really, I can look at my relationships and I can say when I reacted this way to my wife, when I reacted this way to my sons, I actually damaged that relationship, and I need to go. I need to own my mistake. I need to say, hey, I didn't treat you with dignity why, in that Why manner. do you need to say or do that? To, to own my mistake. So that's for you. It has nothing to do with them. And to repair my relationship. That has to do more with you than with them because maybe- No, it definitely has to do with them. I'll, I'll ask for you a question. Sure. So I'll ask you a question. Here, here's, here's, let me throw one of you that's not even a big curveball. Yeah. Steve Jobs, do you think his dad did him a favor by, by you know, dumping him or disowning him early in his life? I have would, never, would, I would, studied would he, his life well would, enough to know. Well, he was, he was, you know, he's originally actually Syrian and he was abandoned by his dad at early age. Do you think he would have become Steve, he would have became Steve Jobs had it not been for that incident? Well, guess what? If you take out of that of the equation, he the consequence of but his I'll, life, but I mean, I mean, but I disagree. This is why, if like someone who is abusing, I mean, let's let's talk about you're abusing someone, whether it's verbally, emotionally, or physically, right? Is that go 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 and and research some of the most successful people in life, and you will realize all of them, mm -hmm. all if not most, okay, most if not all had traumatic experiences at young age that drove them to be who they are today. Totally, but that doesn't so I'm make not, that- I'm not, I'm not claiming, but hold on. But I'm not talking about what the, what the effects on that person. I'm True. saying 
is so that person right you. or wrong in right, that right, action? Leave right or wrong. I'm not here to talk about judgments and right and wrong. That's I never like to discuss right and wrong. What I'm talking about is at the end of the day, what you're doing is related to you. You go fix that relationship because you want to feel like you're a better husband, better dad, because your image of yourself gets no, shattered. No, because I want a better, I want a better relationship with them. Yeah. And when when there's distrust in a relationship it begins to deteriorate that relationship. True. And maybe maybe that's the best thing will ever happen to that person in their life because they become a better person. So I'm not going, you see, that's what I'm saying. Don't Getting into the discussions about right and wrong will take forever. What I'm saying is at the end of the day, everything we do, we do for us and for our own fulfillment. It's your own fulfillment to feel that you're a great dad that built a great family, a great husband that built a great family, that brought great children and your decision and judgment of how great of a family it is can change over time when you see if your children end up being as successful Successful based on certain measures that you have accommodated and accumulated over the history of your growth. So depending where you grew, you decide your child is successful if he has millions or your child is successful if she becomes famous. Well, or- I'm not even talking about success. I'm not talking about success in, in those kind of trappings, which you started, which is what kind of led us so far down this rabbit hole. I'm, I'm just talking about on a relational level, when we, when we go back to those, what we originally he was talking about those those truths of right or wrong that that you were saying that when you distill most of the major world religions down to you see that thread through and if there is absolute morality which i know you said we need a whole other and you, you, you i understand open, you that. want to tap into a discussion that is that is well, very complex it is it is that requires, uh, we, we can have another day on that but i guess the simple question is because this is where the question kind of to track back around. You were saying when you close your eyes and you lay your head on your pillow, it's just you. It, the person next to you, the, it's the conversations with you. I mean, there was a point in your life where you woke up and you decided this is not fulfilling me. And you made a change. Actually, I kind of knew it much earlier and I was resisting it because my mind didn't like it because that meant I I realized I was so far from where I would have felt more fulfilled in my life at that time in the lifestyle that I was living. And that was a very long journey, number one. And number two, it would have meant I was wrong and I had to admit that I was wrong per the the, the decision because I knew somehow. So, so So you can't be wrong. That's the point that I was driving to that sometimes when you lay your head on the pillow, you can't just... Uh, Assume that you're always right, that, that there are... That being said, had I not gone through that journey, I would have not been who I am today. So and you I, see, I see that. And that's why I say is that it's a polarity discussion, right and wrong. And, I, and I, I like that distinction because I think that those, that, you know, just as I said earlier, we can't just wake up and decide to write a new story. You can't just write a, a new dialogue about your life. You still have that journey that led you to where you are today which in some ways has shaped you that will continue to shape you. And that being said, I was very blessed and lucky to have these opportunities. So so many people have not been able to get out of the vicious cycle they were stuck in. Very few people I know got out of the vicious cycle. I probably even recommend a few people that you can interview on your show. And... But most people have not left that that vortex they they were living in. That being said, I always knew that deep inside of me, I I had a feeling that something. You know, you know when you watch the Matrix and he says this is that itching. I always that had that itch. Some people just don't have that itch. Am I better or worse than any of them? I don't know. That's not for me to say. What I know is I am following my calling and what makes me fulfilled. 
and bottom line, all of this can be my own story in my head. I know the deep, deep inside. And mm -hmm. this is what I'm saying, the deep inside. Because one thing I realized, a lot of the people living that other life that I was living at have have a glazed look in mm -hmm. their eyes when you talk to them. Yeah. Have, you can tell they're lacking and missing something. It's not my job. And this is what also one thing I learned after coming back from the journey. Because at the beginning when I came back, I wanted to share that with everybody. Yeah, you have the elixir and you want to wake everyone up and it uh, does not it's work not, that it's way. It's not for me because maybe, you know, if I'm hungry for something, I'm trying to feed people. Well, guess what? Maybe they're not hungry. Yeah, not to say that, Not to say they're wrong or they're, they're not missing hungry, anything. Yeah. I'm just hungry for a certain type of food. They want to eat something else. I'm a vegetarian. They, they want a burger. It's not, I'm not here to create any judgment on who's right or who's wrong. I've, I've kind of moved past that yes. point. I'm just here sharing my experience. It will resonate with some people and it will offend some people. And guess what? I'm happy with both and I'm cool with both. Do you both. get a lot of offense? Gosh, as much, man. Life is polarity and it's equal, by the way. you, I get as many people that love me as as many people as hate me equally, equally. There's If I'm going to put attention to those that are angry at me, the haters and all of that, I'm going to go nowhere. And if I only pursue those that are clapping for me, I also lose my head. I listen to both. Yeah. And when people tell you don't listen to one, I think you lose your head. I disagree with Agree. those. That I'm I'm centered in my space. I sometimes lose as much as anybody. I get upset. I get angry. I lose my center. And this is why we need the daily rituals. We need to every single day do certain things that help us find our center because we all lose it. And I have a mantra. I say, I'm a master of my destiny, not a victim of my history. And that's something I repeat to myself several times every single morning. If I'm meditating and if and when I'm meditating and when I'm jogging, when I'm doing sports, I just repeat that to myself because you wake up in the morning and things happen. Mm -hmm. By end of day, you lose focus, you reduce center. We all do mistakes and let's not call them wrong, but mistakes. you do mistakes towards other people. And by hurting other people, we hurt ourselves. When I, when, I, when I say or do something that offends somebody else, if my value system is to respect, I will lose respect for myself by offending somebody. So I will feel bad about myself and try to compensate in other ways. I remind myself that I'm a master of my destiny, not a victim of my history. Sometimes, I mean, of course, look, some mistakes make you get into a car accident and lose a body part. You know, my dad had yeah. a car accident. He, he lost the function of his right arm, made certain mistakes that lost him certain body parts in, in, in his health. I'm not saying that, well, say mistakes, of course, mistakes are mistakes. They make us who they are. Not necessarily that I recommend for everybody to go through trauma before they wake up. And this is why I talk about Live Passionately, you know, in the book Live Passionately, where I want, I would love for people yeah. to be more inspired and pursuing their passion truly as much as possible without as much damage. That being said, some people are like me. I'm just not easily convinced. Yeah, yeah. I like maybe- You need, you need a couple punch I, to maybe, break that rib maybe, to wake yeah, up. Maybe I bring drama to myself in my life and maybe that toughens me and strengthens me. It's all great. I can come across philosophically. I can package it. All I say is I just follow what my field, my calling is. And as much as I'm saying that, I know I'm not following it as much as I can. So you, right, you're, you're a passionpreneur, right? You are, you love passion. And what, when I read your book, I loved your definition of passion as it's something that I talk about in some similar ways as you. Can you unpack the, meaning of the root of the word passion. Beautiful. So I'll give you how the how the definition evolved. So the definition of passion evolved over time. And that started with me starting with, after I came back from India, the, the guy said, you changed my life. I'm like, oh, I'm going to start talking about purpose, actually. It was not passion, mm -hmm. but purpose was not selling. 
I had to sugarcoat it into passion so I can make a living ah, talking about it. It's good to know. So, so yeah, I started talking about purpose. That was too heavy for people because people want to, you know, kind of lose weight without going to the gym. So when you talk about working hard, nobody likes it. So I had to make it sound sexier. And I said, well, passion. And, and I started by passion. And the dictionary definition for passion is doing what you love. Yeah, that's, it's any, any powerful or compelling feeling. So that's doing what you love. And then I met Brian Tracy and Brian Tracy said to me on one of my interviews, he said, you're never going to be passionate about something that you're not good at. Mm -hmm. And then the definition of passion evolved from doing what you love into doing what you love and what you're good at. Mm -hmm. Think about it. If I say I'm passionate about singing, but I sound like a goat every time I get on stage, I'm going to get booed. I'm going to get a lot of rotten tomatoes thrown at me. And then I am not going to enjoy it unless I put the hours to feel that I am good at it and understand that mm -hmm. I'm delivering value. And then I met von Strumpenars. He's one of the world's top thinker 50. And he said to me, be careful because the wrong kind of passion can hurt the world. Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean wrong kind of passion? All passion is good. I'm Mr. Passion and passion is great. He goes, really? Think about Hitler. I'm like, oh, actually right. Hitler was really good at what he was doing and he loved doing it, but it was not good for the world. And it was then that I tuned back into my original starting point where the quality of your passion comes from the quality of your purpose, which is where I started, just that I lost a bit of sight on that mm -hmm. because I got carried into the passion discussion. And then it became doing what you love, what you're good at, and is a value and service to the world. Now, the world can be your own world, your universe, not necessarily that everybody has to be serving 7 billion people on the planet. Right. If you are doing some, if your passion is your family and you take care of your family, you are serving your passion. Yeah. Over time, I started realizing something's still missing because I would go do these passion talks and people are like, yeah, great. I see them a few months later. They're like, oh, it was all great. And, and I'm not sure, you know, I mean, I forgot about it. Life took over. I'm like, something's not working mm, there. It's not clicking. And without, without telling a long story on how I reached that conclusion of what was missing, I realized that the biggest element to the success for passionate people is consistency. Mm. Because so many people and companies are passionate, but they come as a blip on the radar and disappear. We all had that friend in school that was passionate about guitar. Yep. But not all of them ended up being greatest mm -mm. guitarists in the world. What was missing was consistency. They didn't stay consistent at it. So then the definition of passion became consistently doing what you love, what you're good at, and is of value to the world. But the magic key is consistency because a lot of people know what they love. And this is what the book serves you in finding. It, this book only answers one of them. It answers doing what you love. So it helps you finding out and, and decluttering your mind to find out what you really love, mm -hmm. okay? What you're good at is only gonna come by you practicing and practicing and practicing. However, the issue people don't stick to something because they're questioning themselves if this is truly my passion and my calling, I'm helping you answer that question. You have to consistently get good at it and find a way to provide value, especially if you want to turn it into a business, if you want to make a living from it, because people don't pay you for your passion. Your passion helps you get good at something so much that people pay you money. Because when you're so good at something, you get so professional at it. When you get so professional at it, you can turn it into a profession only then you make money from living. And even if you wanna, don't want to be paid money, you want to do it as service to the world, at the end of the day, you have to be good at it's something. Good. You have to be good at something. We don't live in a utopian society. Yeah. So you still have to generate a living somehow by being good at something and using that money to work at what you might call as a passion and, and, and service. 
And only then that's true passion. If it lacks one of those four, call it a hobby, call it anything, but it's not passion. In the book, you used another word, which you didn't use here. Uh, the definition where the word came from. Yes. I'm getting there. So okay, it, you're I'm, still I'm, going, I'm, you're still going. Okay, well, good. So, so, but that, that is the definition that is practical because the other one is is, is a root word. You see, mm -hmm. that's looking backwards. I'm talking about forwards. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's going back. So going to the root word where people ask me, well, where did the word passion came from? So I like to go to etymology. So where's yep. the where does the word passion comes from? And passion comes from Latin passio. Mm -hmm. And passio means to endure. In some instances to suffer. But I, you know, it doesn't need to be total suffering, but endurance is the right word for yes. it. Is to endure pleasure and pain in the pursuit of passion and thus you bring passion to life. So passion is a dormant thing inside of us that's been there, that came with us. And if we're not enduring both pleasure and pain. And why I say endure pleasure and pain? Because pleasure requires endurance also because some people don't have a capacity to enjoy things and they end up being stuck in the negative. And mm. then, you know, whether you're on the polarity of being happy or being sad all the time, it's an endurance game of up and down, happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad, but that's irrelevant because that's a volatility of life. Because you have to be able to sustain, like, because it's the emotional roller coaster in some ways. It's like, high mountaintop low, and then you're like low. low you have to be able to endure and some people it's like it's just too much without the lows you ain't getting the high yeah. there's actually a very nice video if you look it up it shows it shows two it puts two metal balls one on a straight line and one on a on a like a volatile up and down curve and actually the ball that's going up and down moves a lot faster than the straight one so it's a physics experiment. It's wow. crazy. It's actually, they put the two metal balls exactly the same size, same distance. If you think about it, the one with the up and down has more, has, distance. Has more distance. It actually travels faster. It's not full. It's like this because every down is giving it momentum to take an up and the up slows down and then it takes the down and goes faster. Really, you know, and actually I think life is the bit of both. With the ups and downs, it gives you momentum, but never lose sight of that central point inside of you, which is what your true Purposes. That's the purpose. Passion is going, enduring the pleasure and pain in the pursuit of that passion and purpose, which is your true calling. Mm. But that calling without momentum ain't going nowhere. It's staying dormant. So you bring passion to life by enduring that pleasure and pain. Which goes back to what we were talking about, how that purpose, that calling is inside of you. It's written inside of you. And it takes your enduring, your embracing, I, I like the word embracing suffering. I feel, uh, you know, our probably, at least my grandparents, you know, you think of that World War One, World War II generation. They, they had so much grit that they embraced and endured so much. And at least the rap is, whether it's true or not, I'd love to hear what you think. You know, the argument, which actually I don't think is, is fully true against millennials and Generation Z, is that, oh, they're soft, they're... They're not willing to give it all. They don't have grit. And it's in that embracing of grit, that embracing of suffering, that commitment to do the hard work consistently over time that that activates, at least that's what I'm hearing you saying, that that activates that purpose, that calling, that fulfillment inside you, but you need to do it over the long run and be committed to that calling inside of you is that what i'm hearing kind of not really because i i definitely believe you know i'm not talking about the old school hard work because eventually in the past a farmer had to wake up and manually labor 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 a farmer today gets it's emotional it. labor 
and and this is what's more important. You see, it's not just about the physical. The, the not, challenge. Yeah, I wasn't talking about physical. The, I was talking about the, emotional the challenge, endurance. And yeah, that being said, again, they they endure things that probably certain generations, past generations, could endure so, because they're they're matching the way the world operates now. And as much as anything new that's being introduced to humanity is out of context for us, the same way, assuming the the evolution theory that it helped us evolve from one thing to the next. I don't know if this is the right the step in the right direction because we don't know what's coming next. All we need to do be is conscious and responsible and think and ask questions about what could go right and what could go wrong in totality and look at the holistic system and treat the universe and the world as a holistic system and understand Which it, it is a holistic system. It is, it's but a highly we, we, never, we never treated it this way because if we started to treat it this way, we would have not invented a lot of things. That being said, when we invented, you know, humanity invented cars, we were not thinking there would be so many cars that would end up producing so much CO2, we were thinking we need mobility for people. So reality is, I think even if you read the story of the person who invented TNT was never, you know, originally yeah, yeah. invented to cause killing. No, no, no. So, so reality is, again, whether whether you're thinking about nuclear power, no, these things were not originally invented for causing damage. It's just right. human nature is, we have that yin and yang inside of us and, and sometimes one overtakes the other equilibrium is bound to happen in life. You know, and they taught us in physics, no matter what the shape of the uh, of the pots and things like this, water will find equilibrium. Universe on a long run finds equilibrium. It adjusts, it finds ways to balance itself out. So not to say that the, the current generation doesn't have its own challenges. The challenge will be the responsibility of the people in the educational system and the current governments and the current rulers and the leaders and the inspirers to provide valuable context to the new generation that is applicable for them. Because if we're just trying to bring our system and stick in it, it's the same challenge we had with our parents and grandpas. They all said, oh, in my days. Well, we're starting to sound like that saying in our days, mm -hmm. we are already starting to sound like that. So we just need to understand their system and stick to values. Because passion and purpose does not really change at heart. Right. It might, that, that calling of you changed my life is my calling. That person changing me having an impact. Now, it just happens that in the past impact was you standing in a classroom. Today, it's on a podcast. Tomorrow, it's teleportation. I don't know. Right. It, the driver, the driver, the publicity is a byproduct. Not that none of us enjoy the publicity. The publicity is the byproduct. Never make it the product. And this is where people get lost. And guess what? Throughout history, even before there was internet and before there was TV, there was a lot of people that were driven by vanity. So this vanity is part of humanity. The question is you can chase it on a camera or you can chase it before there was a camera. The stories are the same. It doesn't change. So this leads me to a question that I was wanting to ask. And I think we can probably close and wrap up because it might take a while to answer this question. <laughs> okay. So... When I was reading the book, there's one thing that struck me that was like, hmm, this doesn't this doesn't make sense with the rest of the narrative you've been weaving. Give it to me. And this is and you just said the word byproduct. Yeah. Which was in in the beginning of the book, you talk about how all these people are chasing happiness when really in your pursuit of happiness, you're finding sadness. You need to chase fulfillment. But then you and and just now you've said, which is a, a congruent thought and logic within your argument, you said that, you know, so many, like, it's not the publicity, the publicity is a byproduct, don't chase the publicity, 
That's just a byproduct, yeah. which is then congruent with the thought of don't chase happiness because if you chase happiness, you're going to get sadness. If you chase publicity, what are you going to get? Yeah. But then there's, and maybe I'm not fully understanding the way that you're positioning this part of your book, but you talk about what are the, and maybe it's the, what are the drivers? Is it money? Is it impact or power? Or is it, what was the third one? Money, power, or fame. Fame. The, or is it fame? Are, well, these are not really drivers as much as a How do you tool define or those? a game. You see, yeah, I always what's say, the game? What, which way, I mean, I, earlier I was mentioning what are you driven by? I might have used in, in my online course, but I corrected that in the, in the book. You see, everybody's talented at something. So you see, some people are talented at the money game. Some people are talented at the power game. And some people are talented at the fame game. You can cause impact with all three. You can be fulfilled with all three. So let's take fame, which is obviously what, you know, you and me people, anybody who's on stage, on camera, on a microphone, on a radio, uh, who's good at being in a public eye and delivering the message to, to the masses is a fame person. Mm -hmm. We have a natural innate talent in us to handle fame. Mm -hmm. And we know how to maneuver the fame so well that we can add value using fame. The challenges some people get lost in that and they forget that the fame is the byproduct which is a tool because i didn't feel like i didn't feel like that was articulated so when i was reading it and, and writing you know you have like write your statement i felt so strange I'm like but wait i know that if i'm writing okay it's like my game is fame or my game is and power that's the word i use what's your game so you see it's it's a and, game that you play so well that right. you know you can you can get results in but the way so i guess my my question to you is Shouldn't, if, if your game is riches, shouldn't you then act in the, the opposite polar, which would be, okay, then generosity. How do I become, how but, but am I, I more generous? But I never say riches. I said, I said money because money. money is money. So how you use money is up to you. So you can get so good but at power, playing. But power and, so, so here's an example. and fame aren't I, quite I, that way. Because no, fame, well, humility, I see like fame. Th this is the polarity. And this is why I said these discussions are a lot deeper because now you got to understand how to balance that out. So with money, money is money. Money doesn't have polarity to it. Money Correct. is money. Money is, a, you know, now it's a paper, eventually but it, crypto. But when you're, when you're framing it in what's your game, you're essentially saying, what are you wanting to get? So, okay, no, what are you money good at? is my game. What are you good at? So you're saying, what are you good at? What you Not good at? what do you want to gather. No. You're saying, what are you good what at? What are you good at? Because I can, I can use all three of them. It applies. If I'm so good at gathering fame, and I don't want to be bashing on some of the influencers out there, you know, but if, if my game is to bring a lot of vanity with my fame or to inspire, there are two ways. You can be very famous for either, and and you don't okay. have to go far. Go to YouTube so and watch how some of. So you're using these three words as neutral, not in saying what do you want to no gather. You're saying what, what you are good you good at? What are you good at? What do you play so well? I'm very good on camera. I'm very good on 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 uh, speaking. I'm very good on stage. I'm, and again, I put a lot of skill and I put a lot of time and effort into that. Clearly, I'm I'm really good at doing this, and I know I can bring impact. I could equally be promoting all the wrong things. Yep. And there's so many of those out there. Open the internet and you'd see, listen, to some, listen to some of the songs today, man. The, the fact that these songs are just normal and legal out there, what they're promoting, the, the immorality that you're talking it's about and, and, and it, what they promote in the minds of, of the youth and even in some people that it just becomes normal. 
that's fame. They're using fame in a certain way. The same way you create a TNT and you can use it to blow up, you know, mountains to open roads or to blow up people. So the same thing with, with power. You know, people don't like that word power. Think about it as impact. If you're Nelson Mandela who stayed in, in, in a prison cell for over 30 years and still came out and did what you're supposed to be doing, or if you're Malcolm X or Martin Luther King, these guys were power. Yeah. These guys were were power where they were playing in the power game to impact if you are and and the power by the way i mean think uh think about gandhi power it wasn't the fame the fame was a byproduct the money was a, i don't know if there was even money but the impact he brought mm -hmm. and he brought an impact that liberated the country so this is what i refer to by money power or fame people don't like that discussion because these they are uncomfortable having these conversations yeah they are because we label them as vanity we label power as negative well M mandela was power malcolm x was power you can choose to be whoever you want to be i don't want to mention any politicians names you can see who you might label as a power person but that's all power and impact and then you can look at money as you know i mean look at warren buffett you you can tell me how much how much positive impact can you have on the world? Bill Gates and Warren Buffett are donating crazy amounts yeah. of money to the world. Yeah. So this is what this is money. They're serving the world with their money. Do they have fame? Yes. Do they have uh, but power? But money is yeah. their game. They're great money at money. Their, money's their game. It's not it's not power. They're not I playing see. in the power game. They're not playing the fame game. Fame game is people who are on camera, on stage, singers, actors, singers, speakers, authors, podcasters today. There was no podcasting in the past, but it's still a fame game. Back in the days, it's fame was radio. being on stage. It just, what's changing is there was no multimedia. There was just yeah. stage. Some people used to just be known on stage. In the future, what's it going to be? I don't know. I told you. There might be Teleportation. I don't know when it happens. I'm happy. I'll, I'll be happy to do that. So I'm a holocaster. Yeah, I, I always I say that I'm saying it publicly, but it's it's one of my goals. Hopefully, in this lifetime, to to deliver an inspirational talk from space. So I'm I'm still pursuing that. that so I'm sending amazing. I'm sending calling to the universe. Hopefully, somebody's listening. There's actually more opportunity now than ever before to actually hopefully do that. Hopefully, in my lifetime, right? I, this beard might be a lot whiter by then. But <laughs> I'm still I'm still it's a it's a one of my tick the boxes. Hopefully, just for the larger scale of impact you know hmm. that's for the larger if i can reach seven billion people and you know somebody somebody asked me once if you have the whole world as a stage what would you say and my answer was wake up mm. wake up we Absolutely. we and i say we all need to wake up no matter how much we need to wake up more to understand what we can bring to the world more what we can add and how we can add value and understand that yes we all make mistakes and yes mm. we all to be to err is to be human and at the end of the day there's much bigger things for us to achieve out in the universe rather than being so ripping each other apart mm -hmm. and all of that pursue your passion pursue your calling you don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow you don't know if you're going to be here listening to the end of this so really answer your billion dollar question understand that you're not going to be here you know for long no matter how long you live 100 years 200 years whatever it is there's uh, if there's life there's death if you're going to be born you're bound yeah. to be dying no matter what you do so at this stage go discover your passion you need some help listen to podcasts listen to interviews grab my book live passionately yes, it'll help do. you do that grab other books it doesn't matter what you do go pursue a more passionate life fulfill your calling live passionately and that's my message to the world mustafa thank you so much for being here on the show please guys honestly i read through i worked through the book yeah he's got, I, he's got I actually worked through it and yeah. i loved it 
Um, all the notes are, will be in the show notes. Mustafa, thank you so much. Actually, I would love to to, to offer something for all your listeners. If, yes. Uh, I, I actually would give you all my passion journey meditation. It's a meditation that I have developed. I mean, even if you don't believe in meditation, it's a guided visualization process about 15 minutes. Uh, I've actually written a script with a lot of hypno, NLP, all of the techniques that I've learned with a lot of visualization that will help you kind of visualize a passionate future. Even if you're going through the toughest times, it's going to make you see a brighter potential in the future. And I put this on my website. If you go on mustafa.com forward slash, I think it's passion tools. I'll, I'll give the, I'll put link. the link in the show notes. You put the link in the show notes. Uh, typically, this is only reserved for people who buy my book because the code is the in the book. in the book. Is in the book. However, I'm going to give the code just for, for Luca because he's so passionate and it's actually 7-7. Seven, seven. So you go in there, you go on that passion tools, you put a code and your email and say it's 7-7s seven, and that's my target of inspiring 7 will be in the show notes as well. Yeah, and that's 7-7s seven, because my, my target is to inspire 7.777 million people to live a passionate life and I believe that's 1% of the planet's population. I could probably cause some disruption in the planet's population. Yeah, you for sure could. So, Go download it. It actually have a couple of more bonuses there. So you can download all of those bonuses. Even if you don't read the book, the bonuses are yours. Compliments of, of Luca. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Own the Future. And I am really glad that this was the first episode of 2020 as I feel like it's kind of a signal of the direction that we are going to be going on as Own the Future in 2020. Mustafa and I had a lot of conversation before and after the podcast. And one of the things that he said to me was that if you are a Bentley, don't try to act like a Hyundai. And when he said that to me, it really struck a chord that I've been thinking about over the last few weeks since recording the episode. And I realized that oftentimes I try to fit the podcast into um, something a little bit more lighthearted, something a little shorter, something a little bit more crunchy, when really who I am as a person, I love to go deep. I love to have deep conversations that that wrestle with hard, thoughtful content. Um, and I realize that that's not for everyone, but I think that is what I do well. The you know Going two, three hours deep in conversation, really drilling down to try to find the foundational thoughts that make all of us up. What do we believe at the core of who we are? And uh, oftentimes I try to, I try to make my content more crunchy, more kind of bite-sized, and I don't think I do a very good job with it. But when Mustafa said that to me, I thought, you know what, this year I'm going to try to be more of who I am, try to show more of who my, I am, and create better content for you as the listener. So if you're here and you're still listening to my voice, then clearly you like long, in-depth podcasts, and I hope to be able to continue to give that to you as we move in to 2020. Please, if you are still here listening, share this with one friend. Also, my new book, Anchor the Discipline to Stop Drifting, is out on Amazon, and it would be a great way to start off your 2020 taking action to stop drifting in your life and begin to act on your dreams, purpose, and desires for your life. That is all. Remember, I'm Lucas Scrobot. You are a change maker. And if you own your story, you will own the future.